0: Yo, yo, hey, Creation, what's up? How many glad to be sitting out in the heat today, just getting in a little extra sun, like a tan? Come on, let's go. I'm glad to be with you. It's my first time uh, here at Creation, so just excited to share in this moment with you. I'm from Pittsburgh. Any uh, any Pittsburgh people here in the house, in, in the field, I should say? Yes, that's me. I'm glad to be back uh, here at Creation. This is cool. It's um, going to be a lot of fun. So I uh, I grew up in Pittsburgh, and uh, I was the baby of my family. How many of you are the babies? Any any of you are the babies of family? Come on, my guy right there. Come on, let's go. Um, I just I don't know if you agree with this or not. I think the Bible says the babies of the family are the best members of the family, the blessed most blessed members of the family. Right? Come on, uh, all you older siblings, uh, all you older siblings can be spiteful right now if you want to. It's okay. Uh, Jesus is going to help you. Um, but I was the baby of the family. I had two older sisters, and uh, I remember in my school growing up, we used to have uh, this competition every year. It was called. Maybe some of you have done this. It was called the Egg Drop Competition. Have you, anybody ever do this before? They, You take some drinking straws, right, and you tape them together, and you try to create some sort of, like, like protective custody for an egg. And then when you drop the egg, like, off of, like, a, a ladder or something like that, like, it doesn't break, right? That's the whole, that's the whole game, right? Right. Anybody ever do this? Any, do we have any champions here? Like, you won? Okay, I see you. I see you. And uh, so I wanted to win, right? Because I'm, like, I'm the baby of the family. I'm, like, I got to prove to my older sisters that I am, like, like intellectually superior or something like that, and so I am, like, so driven, like, I got to do this, I got to do this, I got to win, and so um, I'm trying to follow all the rules, right, and and the rules in our little competition said, you know, that the masking tape could only be, like, a quarter inch wide and all the kind of drinking straws, all the kind of stuff like that, and so my dad was taking a roll of half-inch masking tape, and he was, he was cutting it, right, so when I peeled off the tape, it would be the right size. Everybody with me? Everybody with me? Okay, good. And uh, so I'm, I'm down there working, 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 and I ran out of tape, and, I, and my dad had told me, like, hey, when you run out, like, you have to wait for me to come back and, and make more tape for you the right size, because I don't, I don't trust you. Like, you're, you're too young. I was, like, 11. He's like, you're too young to, like, be trusted with a knife, and I'm like, it's, it's all right. Like, it's okay, Dad, and he left. I ran out of tape. And I'm like, I, I got this. I mean, I can handle this. Have you ever had a moment like that in your life? Like, I can do this. I don't need your help. And so I just, I grab the knife. I'm in the basement of my house in Pittsburgh, and I start cutting away. I slip. It's terrible. I cut my thumb. It is just terrible. And now the real baby of the family comes alive. Like, you know what I'm talking about, all the babies. Like, I am screaming. I am yelling. I'm calling for help. Nobody's coming because I got older siblings and they don't care. We know all about you older siblings, I'm just saying. And uh, and so I go running upstairs and my mom is up in the kitchen and I'm like, I got my hand all wrapped up like this. She can't even see what's going on. I'm like, Mom, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. I'm screaming, I'm crying. I'm like, Dad told me not to do it, but I did it anyways. And she's like, what, what, what? And I, I kind of open up my hands, not realizing that like it was, it was a pretty bad wound. And so when I open up my hands, it was just kind of like, like, it just kind of went everywhere. Let's just put it that way. It, it was like a crime scene investigation right there in our kitchen. I'm just saying. And now my mom is, like, almost passing out. She's, like, breathing in a paper bag over there on the side, another room, you know. My sister's trying to help her. My other sister's trying to help me. And I'm screaming. Like, I'm petrified. I'm terrified. I'm crying. My sister's, like, giving me something to put on my finger. I'm yelling, screaming. And, like, not only... Am I the baby of the family? I'm also a PK. I'm, anybody know what a PK is? Any PK? Pastors, it's a pastor's kid. Pastor's kid. Okay. Um, pastor's kid, we're kind of weird. We just are. It's okay if you're a pastor's kid. Just own it. You're, we're just weird. Um, we're not as weird as homeschoolers, but we're close. Like, we're like a close, like, second cousin or something. Okay. Um, so, like, I'm screaming. This is what I'm screaming. Like, I don't know what it's like for all of you normal people when, like, you, like, injure, like, a finger or something and you're scared to death as a little kid. Like, like I don't know how it works for you, but for me baby of the family, pastor's kid, this is what I am yelling at the top of my lungs. I am yelling, read the Bible, read the Bible, read Psalm 23, read the Bible, read Psalm 23, because this is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, like, my dad's a pastor, and when people die, they read Psalm 23. I'm getting ready to, like, I'm getting ready to go into this next life. I'm just, I need these words spoken over me. That's what I'm thinking, like, my sister's, like, trying to read it. I'm, like, screaming and crying and everything like that. And, like, you kind of probably know how the story ends. It's like a trip to the ER. It's, like, surgery. It was bad. It was, it was just really bad. Uh, fun fact, ten years later, I am uh, I'm just starting to uh, a dating relationship with my now wife, my wife, Julie. We've been married for 25 years, la- last year, 25 years. And, uh, come on, three kids, one granddaughter. Let's go. I have, I have arrived at grandparent status. yes. Uh, one granddaughter and a dog, a family dog. Any dog lovers? Do we have any dog lovers? Okay. Oh, I, yep. Okay. Um, I should clarify by dog. I mean dog over 50 pounds. If your dog's not over 50 pounds, that's not a dog. You know what I'm saying. That's not a dog. You own, I don't know. If you, can, if you can pick up your dog and put it in like a little, one of those little purses and carry it, that's not a dog. That's like a rat cat. I don't know. Like, you own a football. Just punt it. I'm just saying. Like, just be, okay, any, anyways, anyways. Like, ten years later, after, like, I do this whole thing, cutting my thumb and everything, I just start dating my wife, Julie. And one night, we're sitting there, and I, I'm, I'm holding her her hand, and all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, my goodness. And she's like, what? I'm like, you have a really, like, like a big scar on the top of your left thumb. And she's like, yeah, I never told you about that. I'm like, tell me what? She's like, uh, she's like, uh, I cut my left thumb really bad years ago. And, I mean, I cut my left thumb really And I'm just... I'm like, oh, my goodness. She's like, what? I'm like, tell me more. Like, I'm so, <laughs> so intrigued. She starts telling me her whole story. And I'm like, the whole time she's talking, I ain't even listening. All I hear in my mind is like, so Like, I'm just thinking, like, we have matching scars. This is a sign from heaven right now. Uh, I remember, I'll never forget this moment in my life, though, when I'm 11 years old and I'm, I'm, like, in the ER and they're doing everything and they're trying to put my finger back together and all this stuff. Because... All I remember, I just remember, I don't remember all the details. I remember the fear. I remember the anxiety. Like, I remember the panic. Like, that's the kind of stuff that you and I don't really forget. Anybody with me? Like, when you go through something like that, when you, anything that creates, like, all of that intense emotion inside of you, right? Right? Where all of a sudden you've got questions or you've got doubts or you've got concern or you've got worry, right? Or, or, or the pressure of life, like to all of you adults out in the field today. Like the pressure of life, the pressure of, of losing a loved one or the pressure of losing a job or the pressure of like a really difficult season in life just comes out of nowhere. And all of a sudden you and I are, are left to, to deal with like all the emotional side effects of it, right? It's like what do I do with my panic? What do I do with my fear? What do I do with my anxiety, with my worry? What do I do with my depression? What do I do with, with the fact that maybe this has gone on for month after month, or maybe year after year? And, and, and now my, my anxiety and my panic has turned into some mental health challenges, and now I'm, I'm really trying to figure all this, like, what do I do with all of that? And what was really interesting to me when I started thinking about, it, when I was 11 years old, and I'm screaming, like, read the Bible, Read Psalm 23. It kind of drove me at a later point in my life to study this passage and study it like, like I had never read it before. So that's what I wanna talk about today. I wanna to talk about Psalm 23. If you got a Bible or if you got uh, like a device with you and you wanna open up, I'm gonna be reading to you from the, the New International Version. Psalm 23, right? And, and if you're not familiar with this passage, um, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing, right? He makes me lie down in green pastures, He leads me beside still waters. Some, some Bible scholars would say, that Psalm 23 is probably one of the most universally recognized passages of Scripture, right? We, we've had hundreds of songs written about it. Uh, for some of you, if you grew up in church, like, it was like one of the first verses that you memorized or that your Sunday school teacher taught you about. If you didn't grow up in church, you've probably heard it read at maybe a funeral or maybe a, a wedding somewhere. Or you've seen it, like like like, printed and framed on the wall of a a hospital waiting room somewhere, right? One of the most universally recognized passages in Scripture. Psalm 23, six verses, 116 words, just depending on which translation you're reading it in. And, and we know a couple things about it, and I want to give you a little context here real quick, because the words of Psalm 23 will be much more meaningful to you and I if we understand a little bit of the narrative or the context for what was happening in the author's life when he wrote it. So we know that David wrote Psalm 23. Everybody say, David. David right? A uh, fun Bible fact here for you. There's actually more written about David in the Bible than any other person in the Bible, right? Uh, we know that David wrote it. We know that David at one point in his life was a shepherd, so that kind of makes sense that he would write about, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, something like that, and sheep. Um, we also know that David was the baby of the family, therefore the best member of the family, the most blessed member of the family, the best looking member of the family. Come on, come on, love me, love me. Come on, I'm the baby. Um, uh, but a lot of scholars have debated, like, what was happening in David's life when he wrote Psalm 23. Uh, I read one scholar that said this. They said David was a teenager, and he was, like, out in a field, maybe something like this. And he's got, like, his little flock of sheep, and he's got his little guitar, and he's, like, singing along and, you know, writes this song. And then I read another scholar that said, no, 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 no. David talks about stuff like walking through the valley of the shadow of death in verse 4. So he had to have a little life experience right, in order to even write something like that. So he probably was like a king, right? And he he also talked about like a table set before me, right? So David was probably like rich and powerful. He talked about like I lack nothing. So he must have been like King David at this point, rolling deep, living on the throne, snapping his fingers, everyone bringing him whatever he wants. But most scholars, if you study this passage, most scholars will tell you David, when he was writing Psalm 23, was actually going through what might have been the most painful, pressure-filled, panic-filled, anxiety-ridden moment of his life. Here's here's the setting. David's oldest son, Absalom, is close to becoming the next king of Israel. David, as the current king, would pass the keys of the kingdom, so to speak, to his oldest son, Absalom, who would then rule and reign uh, in, in his place. And Absalom had grown impatient. Absalom, in fact, had grown so impatient that he decided that a rebellion was in order. And so he decided, I'm going to recruit an army, and then I'm going to go and take over the kingdom by force. And so he recruits his army, he attacks the capital city of Jerusalem, and he's successful in driving his father, David, out of the palace, out of the capital city of Jerusalem. And David is now on the run for his life. Not just, not just, I got to get out of of trouble here, but on the run for his life because His own flesh and blood son, Absalom, wants to kill him. So you want to talk about panic. You want to talk about pressure. You want to talk about discouragement. You want to talk about depression, right? You want to talk about about mental health challenges. You want to talk about the emotional weight of what do I do in this situation. David is living it out in these verses here, right? And as you and I begin to walk through the six verses of Psalm 23, for just the next couple minutes, there's a couple choices, there's a couple decisions that David makes in what he writes that can become a bit of a guide for you and I when we go through difficult seasons. I don't know about you, right? I'm just going to guess that you probably either have been through something really difficult in your life, anybody? Or you probably will, (laughs) right? In fact, the Bible actually promises us that, does it not? Right? You've been through some stuff. I've been through some stuff. Look at your neighbor right now and say, I can tell you've been through some stuff. Not trying to embarrass you. I can see it on your face, Maybe You've been through some stuff. David is going through it. And David almost gives us a bit of a a roadmap for how you and I handle our our tough situations in life. So so four different things we're going to pull from the text in the next couple minutes. Here's the first one. And it's found just in verse number one. Uh, It says this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in one, or I lack nothing, I lack nothing, this is really, really quite interesting, right, like, like, how many of you, uh, how many of you, just, just honest moment, real, real talk moment, how many of you like to be in charge, you're like, I'm the kind of person, I like to be in charge, I like, I kind of like to, all the older siblings should have your hands up right now, because we all know that you love to boss around, I'm just saying, okay, Um, it's interesting, because David says, the Lord is my shepherd, Which is interesting when you understand the background of David because David was used to being the shepherd himself. And now, at the very beginning of of what is probably the most famous 116 words that David ever wrote that's quoted and memorized by more people, millions of people, more than he ever thought possible, David wants to say to everybody, I just want you to know I'm not in charge. I'm, I'm not the one making the decisions here. The Lord is my Shepherd, this, this is really interesting because David has given us a, a choice to make here. And here's the choice. You have to answer the question. When you're going through tragedy, when you're going through difficult times in life, when you're going through a valley season like David talks about in verse number 4, when you're going through pain and fear and anxiety and depression and, and everything that you and I face in this, in this world, David says here's the first choice you have to make. Who's your shepherd? Who's your shepherd? Everybody has a shepherd. Everybody has something or someone that they learn to lean on or depend on as their shepherd. So David says, hey, I just want everyone to know right from the beginning, I'm in pain. I'm, I'm writing this most likely. Scholars would tell you David is probably writing this sitting in a dark cave somewhere with a dimly lit candle, right? He's on the run for his life. His whereabouts cannot be known. Absalom is hunting for him. He has a, cl- a couple close people and family members around him. Fear abandons of abounds, panic, everything. And David says this the Lord, the Lord, the Lord is my shepherd. Not me. I'm not in charge. The Lord is my shepherd. Choose your shepherd wisely, my friend. Not not just when you're in the middle of a difficult situation, but in life. Choose your shepherd wisely. Everybody has a shepherd. Everybody's got something or someone. So you know, for some of you, like your shepherd is like um it's a friendship. It's, a, it's another person here in this world. It's somebody that you've learned to lean on and depend on in times when, you're, when you feel like, man, I need some help right now. So your shepherd is another person. Some, some of you, your shepherd is a it's a relationship. It's a relationship that you want or a relationship that you have. Or maybe maybe it's a relationship that you don't have but you feel like you need in order to fill a gap inside of, of your soul and your emotions. And so a relationship is your shepherd. Some of you, your, your shepherd is an emotion. You say, what do you mean, Aaron? What do you mean? I, I, I mean that that some of us have gone through so much stuff in life. We've gone through so much difficulty in life. We've gone through so much pain in life that, that maybe our pain has become our shepherd. I don't know how to really live life unless I'm feeling the weight of that pain and I look at every situation and every other friendship and every other circumstance in my life through the lens of pain, and therefore pain is now my shepherd. For some of you, your shepherd is like your anger it's like, you, like, like you've, you've been through some stuff that has created anger, stuff that wasn't your fault, mind you, stuff that was decisions other people made. You didn't make them. You're not responsible for the decision they made, but you bear the weight of it, and so it's created anger in you. And so now anger has become your, your shepherd. It's become the guide in your life. It's become a, a way of life for you. In fact, if you woke up one day and you weren't angry, you wouldn't even really know how to live life. So, so David here makes it really clear. When you're in distress... When you're in pain, when you're dealing with immense pressure and anxiety, consider who your shepherd is. Who's your shepherd? Have I allowed myself to learn to lean on something else or someone else other than Jesus Christ himself as my shepherd? Right? I, I, listen, I, I, I'm, I'm probably a new voice in your life, and you don't know me, I don't know you. You've been, Maybe some of you have been going to church all your life. I've grown up in church. I'm a PK. Come on. But here's what I know. I, I know that it's really easy and even, even subtle for you and I to allow other things, other people, other places, other emotions, other situations to take the place of where Jesus is supposed to be. To dethrone Jesus. To put Jesus on the side. And now Jesus is just simply a part of my life but he's not the whole of my life. Jesus is now just one shepherd among many other shepherds or other voices in my life. And I, I, gotta, I just as a new friend in your life, let me just help you understand something. Jesus was never met. Your relationship with Jesus and the opportunity that you and I have, Jesus is not an app for your life that you just turn on and use when you feel like using it. Jesus is the entire operating system, friend. There, he, he, he's never okay Other than having the place of shepherd in your life. The Lord is my shepherd. And when you go on through the rest of Psalm 23, you can do that later today. You can do that tonight sitting around your campfire, right? Every other verse in Psalm 23 is a promise. The Lord will lead you. The Lord will guide you. The Lord will protect you. The Lord will provide you. The Lord will redeem you. He'll restore you. The Lord will lead you and be with you in the valleys. The Lord will chase you down with his goodness and mercy. He'll anoint your head with oil. Those are all promises that your shepherd is responsible to fulfill for you. So let me say it like this. If you don't get the first two words right in Psalm 23, the rest of it doesn't matter. You've got to get the first two words right. You, you have to get the, the Lord is my sh- I'm choosing each and every day to say, Jesus, I'm putting you in your proper place in my life as the one and only, so you got to choose your shepherd. When you're in a difficult spot, you got to choose your shepherd. Number two, got to choose where your peace is going to come from. Look, 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 look again, go, go back to the text if you have it in front of me. Because in verse 2, David says this. David says, he makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters. Okay, now, when you read Psalm 23, and a, and a lot of other passages like it, but when you read Psalm 23, scholars will tell you there's what we would call the literal interpretation so that we can understand it. And then there's also the spiritual application, right? The literal interpretation of this is David is talking about the actual physical process that a shepherd would use to get sheep to lie down and take a nap, right? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters because shepherds knew that sheep really wouldn't lie down and rest if they were afraid. They really wouldn't lie down and rest if they were hungry. And they really wouldn't lie down and rest if there was, like, drama with the other sheep, like, in in the sheep herd. Uh, how many of you are like, wait a second, that's like my formula for sleep, too. <laughs> I can't be afraid. I I, I I can't have drama with other people, and I can't be hungry, right? I need to have a little bedtime snack. Okay, uh, so this is why the Bible calls us sheep, right? Um, but D- David knows this, and so he's he's talking about this process where sh- shepherds will, like, deal with all of those issues, the hunger and the fear and the sheep drama, they they deal with all of that so that sheep can lie down and rest. But, but here's the spiritual context. Here's the spiritual application. Now, this is mind-blowing to me, right? Remember the context. David is on the run for his life. David is living in caves. David has lost the throne. David has lost power. He's lost wealth. He's lost influence. He's lost status. He's lost fame. His entire world and life has fallen apart. Yet in verse two, my guy is talking about taking a nap. Hello, like, like, okay. So there's a little fun message here for you. That any god that you serve that wants you to take a nap, that's a good god, right? There's a lot of good naps out there. I'm just saying, right? Come on, come on. There's some good naps. Post Thanksgiving dinner nap. That's a, that's a nap. And then if you wake up and see that the Cowboys lost, you, you're like, this was a glorious day. This was a great. This was a great nap. Come on, right? That's a good, that's a good, I'm just saying, right? When I was in high school, I had what I called the, the math nap. It was when I realized I was actually never going to ever be able to pass algebra, so I might as well just sleep through class. Like, it's just, this is just a good nap, right? This is, David's talking about a nap, but what he's really talking about in a spiritual sense is this thing that you and I all need and want in our life. He's talking about this thing that you desire. He's talking about this thing that you can't live without. He's talking about this thing that that you work hard to achieve. He's talking about this word, peace. Everyone look at your neighbor and just say, peace. He's talking about peace. He's talking about how you and I can experience peace in the midst of a storm, in the midst of a difficult season, in the midst of some of the most daunting moments of your life. He's just saying, you can have peace. You don't have to be filled with fear. Right? The first year my, my wife and I were married, we were living... Um, in a little second-floor apartment right down on the north side in Pittsburgh, if you're familiar with, with that part of the city. And um, so uh, I wake up in the middle of the night. Uh, it's, our, it's our first year. I'm a newlywed, right? I wake up in the middle of the night, and she's over on that side of the bed, and, and this is what I hear. I wake up, and I hear her, and, and this is what the sound that's coming out of her mouth is this. Jesus, 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 Jesus. And I'm, I'm like, I don't know what's going on. I just woke up. I'm a newlywed. I'm not, like, all of this is new to me. I'm like, what is happening? My first thought when I hear this is I'm thinking... Oh man, like this woman I married is so spiritual. She prays in her sleep. And I'm, and I'm like, and I'm like, Lord, I cannot live up to this expectation. Like I just like, you know. But then I realized like she's afraid, right? That she has no peace right now. That's why she's woken up. She's afraid. And so I just kind of like lean over. I just kind of roll my head over and I'm like, I'm like, hey baby, what's what's going on, baby? What's wrong? And and she, she this is what she whispers to me. She's like, she's like, there's a man, there's a man, there's a man, there's a man in the room, there's a man, there's a man in the room. I'm half asleep, I'm a newlywed. I'm like, I know baby, I'm right here. <laughs> she's like, no. She whispers again. Now she whispers, shouts at me, which by the way, all you single men, just just understand that like every woman that God created has the ability to whisper, shout. Like that, that's just something they're born with that's going to happen. Okay. So Now she whispers, shouts at me and she's like, no, there's another man in the room. I'm like, I'm like, oh, my, oh, my, oh, my goodness. Like, now I'm awake. Now I'm like, oh, my, god, I need to be the man. And I got to do something about the other man in the room, wherever this other man is at. I got to be the man. And now I'm afraid. So I just grab the sheets and I put them over my head. I'm like, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Because I'm just thinking, like, if it worked for her, I'm just going to try it out, right? Now she's awake and she's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, there's a man, there's a man, there's a man in the room. (laughs) She's like, I was having a bad dream. What is wrong with you? She's like, there's not another man in the room. Apparently there's not even a man in the room. Like, I'm just like, oh, okay, shots fired. Let's and Come on. I'm just like, when you get afraid, though, here's what happens in life, right? When you get afraid, you lose perspective of what is happening around you, right? You lose perspective of reality. All of a sudden, something that isn't there appears to be there, or something that is there appears to not be there. And David here is kind of giving us a crash course in peace because David is helping us understand in the literal sense, in the middle of the night, if the sheep started to get restless, the shepherd would awaken immediately and he'd begin to quietly walk through the herd of sheep. And just his mere presence would, would have this effect on the sheep where they would say, oh, We're good. It's okay. Shepherd's here. Shepherd's right here. I hear his footsteps. I even know the scent of the shepherd. That's what the sheep would be thinking, right? And see, it's, spiritually speaking, it's the same thing for you and I, friend. In the, midst of, in the midst of our trouble, in the midst of our trial, in the midst of our trauma, in the midst of everything we have going on, you and I need to hold on to the truth. If I've chosen, number one, my shepherd wisely, then number two, I choose peace, and I choose peace in the person of Jesus Christ. Listen to me. You know this. I'm just reminding you of something. Peace is not a place in your life. Peace is not a hobby in your life. Peace is not a location. Peace is not a vacation in your life. Peace is only found in the person of Jesus Christ. You won't find it anywhere else. No other substance can provide it for you. It's only found in the person of Jesus. The sheep knew this, and David knew this, and that's why David, can talk about having peace in the midst of running for his life. Peace is not the absence of all your problems, friend. It's the presence of your shepherd. It's the presence of the one who promises to always be with you. And so David says, if you're going to make it through anxiety, if you're going to make it through the trouble in your life, number one, you've got to choose your shepherd. Number two, you've got to choose peace. And, and let me go on in the text here because then in verse number three, it says this, he, he restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. In in one translation, it says he guides me in the path of truth, or he guides me on the right path for his name's sake. He restores my soul. Let me give you the literal understanding from a shepherd's perspective real quick. From a shepherd's perspective, David is talking about this process that would often happen when sheep would get distracted, and they would get far away from the flock. You know, sheep, like, they eat grass, and they need water. And so all day long, their whole life is really wrapped up in, like, where's the next little nibble of grass coming from? Where's the next drink of water coming from? Some of you guys that are listening are like, that's pretty much me, too. That's, that's kind of all I think about is, like, what am I? when am I eating next? Where am I getting, you know, water from? And, and shepherds knew. Shepherds knew this. Shepherds knew that when it came to water, that sheep would sometimes get so thirsty that they would just drink water from any source that they found it. So instead of waiting for fresh water or like the real deal, right, they, they could drink disease water, polluted water, stagnant water, water that had been sitting in the sun for hours or days or weeks, and they could make themselves sick and even kill themselves be, because their thirst would distract them. Their thirst would lead them out of the care of the shepherd. That's what verse 3 is talking about. He's talking about how the shepherd was always counting all of the sheep Right? You hear Jesus talk about this in Matthew chapter 18, verse 12, where he says, The good shepherd leaves the 99 to follow after the one, right? What does that mean? It means that the good shepherd knows how many sheep he has, and when one has gone astray, he's on the look for that one. That one has gotten distracted, one has decided, I'm going after whatever I can get after. And this is why the Bible says about you and I in Isaiah chapter 53 it says this We all, like sheep, have gone astray, right? It means we've gotten distracted. It means you and I have allowed other things that the world has presented to us as the answer for peace. Or number three, the answer for truth. Right? you got to choose your shepherd. And you got to choose peace. But number three, you also have to choose truth. And that's really, really confusing in our culture here in America right now. Right? Because in, in our culture, I'm not talking about what the Bible says right now. I'm talking about what our cultural says. I'm not talking about Biblical theology, for a second, I'm talking about cultural theology. Cultural theology says this. I've got my truth, you've got your truth. You go live your truth, I'll go live my truth. My truth will change, my truth will evolve as my life changes, as my life evolves. So truth is therefore a moving target, right? That's what cultural theology says. Biblical theology says this. There's only one truth. It's determined by God. It's true for all people, in all places, in all seasons of life. So, therefore, the Bible would say, in response to cultural truth, there is no such thing as my truth or your truth. There's the truth, and then there's my opinion, and your opinion, and my perspective, and your perspective, and my feelings, and your feelings. And that's where it gets hard, because the sheep gets distracted because their feelings lead them astray. That's what happens to you and I, right? That's what happens to me. I might know the truth, but I feel something different. Right? I might understand the truth, but my emotions are leading me astray. I, my wife and I, we did student ministry. We were student pastors for almost 20 years uh, over in Reading, Pennsylvania. I grew up in Pittsburgh. We moved to Reading. We did ministry for a long, long time uh, there on staff at a church. And now just recently moved back to Pittsburgh, back to the promised land. Come on. Come um, But one of the things I found myself saying to my students all the time when I was a youth pastor was, students, if you trust your feelings for instruction, they'll usually lead you to destruction. Right? That's what David's saying in verse 3. He's saying, choose truth. But he's not saying choose your truth. He's saying choose the truth. And there's a big difference between those two realities. David is saying, if you're going to allow your shepherd to lead you and guide you on a path of righteousness coming right before God or a path of truth you're going to have to choose I don't define truth you don't define truth God's word defines truth and when there's a conflict or when there's tension between what I feel and what is true I got to trust what God's word says can you imagine David writing these words as he's on the run for his life Can you imagine David writing these words as he feels like everything in his life has been ripped out of his hands. His own son wants to kill him. He's lost it all. He's lost power, wealth, fame, money, the whole list. And yet he still has the nerve, or I should actually say the commitment to simply say, I choose truth in spite of my feelings. I choose truth. My my wife and I call this, in our life, we just have this phrase that we use. We call this, uh, I'm getting a word from the word. Right? I'm getting a word from the word. And, I'm, and, and, and when I feel something that is contrary to what I know the word says, I get a fresh word from the word, and then I begin to speak that over my life, and I begin to pray that over my life, and I begin to prophesy that over my life, and I begin to declare that. And in time, this is what happens to you if you do this, friend. Not immediately, but in time, what happens as you begin to declare a word from the word over your life eventually your feelings and your emotions find themselves aligning with what God's word says. My wife writes it out on a post-it note. And she slips, puts it all over the bathroom. And I just like, I go in there in the morning and there's like a revival has broken out in my, my bathroom. It's just like verses everywhere. I'm like, I'm like, come on, this is like too much. But this, I mean, she gets a word from the word. You got to choose your shepherd. You have to choose peace. You have to choose truth. And let me give you one last one. A couple minutes left. One last one. Choose faith. Choose faith. here's Here's what it says in verse number four, five, and six. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Last verse, surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That takes faith, my friend. It takes faith for you to choose to say, God, even when I'm in the darkest moments of my life, I choose to trust that you're with me. That's what the Bible says here in verse four. It says you're with me in the darkest place. That's faith. I'm choosing to believe your presence is with me. I'm choosing to believe, Jesus, you're the shepherd, I'm the sheep. And Jesus, if you're leading me to it, then that means you're going to lead me through it. Right? Jesus, if I'm following in your footsteps, then I can be guaranteed that you are with me. Your rod and your staff, that's what David says, they comfort me. The rod was symbolic of the authority of the shepherd. It was, it was the little club they used to defend the sheep. In your life, the rod is this. It's the word of God. The staff was the, the long, slender little, little stick with the crook at the top. And the staff would, the the shepherds would use it to guide the sheep or to pull them back in place. In your life and my life, it's the presence of the Holy Spirit with you, telling you, I'm with you, I'm leading you, I'm guiding you. How do you live out the promises of Psalm 23 when you're in the valley like David was? Choose your shepherd. Choose your shepherd. Choose wisely, friend, because your shepherd has to make good on every single promise. That you need fulfilled for you in your life choose peace peace is not a place peace is not an activity peace is not a hobby it's not a vacation peace is not retirement peace is not a number in your bank account people is not an amount of followers on your your social media feed peace is a person it's only found in the person of jesus christ choose truth truth that's found from god's word and also the truth to know that according to verse three no matter how far you and I might stray in life, there's a Savior, a shepherd, who's always tracking you down. Listen to me, friend. Your ability to wander and get distracted like a sheep, your ability to wander in this life will never be greater than your Savior's ability to find you and to track you down. Number four, choose faith. God, you are with me. I think, I think the phrase God being with us and taking us through it, I think the word through is one of God's favorite words in the Bible. He says, I'll take you through the valley. I'll take you through the fire and you won't be burned. I'll take you through the wilderness. I'll take you through the deep waters, the troubled waters, and you won't drown. God is the God of through. And I just want to speak that over your life, friend. I know I don't know you personally, but I I can only imagine in, in, in in a crowd like this, there are some of you that are carrying some things. There are some of you that are carrying some weight emotionally. There are some of you carrying the challenges of mental health. There are some of you carrying some depression, some discouragement. There are some of you that have been in seasons of life that have lasted so long and you feel the weight and the pressure of what this world has thrown at you. Come back to the four decisions that David made in Psalm 23 when he was right in the same place that you're in right now. I choose you, Jesus, as my shepherd. I choose peace that's only found in you. I choose truth that is only found in your word. Even when my feelings aren't in alignment with it, I choose truth and I choose faith. Would you do me a favor real quick? I know it's hot out there. I'm done. I got like two minutes. But would you just maybe kind of like, maybe if you feel comfortable, you could close your eyes. If you don't want to, that's fine. But you're just, you're just here. You're sitting in the field. You're right here at fringe stage creation on a Thursday afternoon. And you're just kind of like, man, I got some stuff going on in my life. I got some pressure. I got some anxiety. I got some weight on me. And I just need someone to pray with me right now. And just, just, I just need to know that Jesus is with me and that I'm going to get through this. If that's you, just real quick, I'm going to pray for you. But I just want to know who you are. So on the count of three, if you're here and you're just like, hey, that's me. I just got some, I got some challenges happening in life right now. Hey, 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 preacher, Aaron, whatever your name is, hey, you just, just pray for me. Come on, on the count of three, raise your hand. One, two, three. Just say, that's just me. I got some stuff going on. See? Hey, my hand's up too, man. My family has been through some really difficult stuff in the last year and, and even in the last couple of weeks right? But, but come on, let's just pray together. Let's just pray together. And if you feel comfortable, you don't have to do this. But if you feel comfortable, would you just lift both hands to heaven right now, just as a sign that you're saying, God, I'm surrendering all of this, all of whatever this is, this pain, this anxiety, I'm just surrendering all of this to you. Let me pray with you real quick. God, I thank you for every person. There's the sound of my voice right now. I thank you for every person that's got hands lifted high. I thank you even for the person who doesn't. But in their heart, they just know I'm carrying some stuff. I'm carrying some difficulties. I'm carrying some challenges. And Jesus, I'm committing right now in this moment, once again, on this day, you are my shepherd. And so I'm leaning on you to provide peace in my life. I'm leaning on you to guide me in truth. And I'm leaning on you, placing my faith in you that you are with me. And God, would you speak directly to the heart and soul of every single person who's listening right now that needs to know you're with them, moving their heart right now in this moment, throughout the days that they're here at creation. Bless them, I pray, in your name. Amen, amen, amen. Hey, I love you. This has been good. I pray that God's word has blessed you today. Uh, our ministry, Lead the Generation, has a conference coming up in August, and we've got a table set up in the vendor area. I'm going to be up there for a little bit for the rest of the day. I'd love to connect with you and just say hi, get to know you a little bit. God bless you. Thank you.